2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody.
1: How are y'all doing? Welcome to the show wanted to just start the show off by just saying, how is your mental health? I want to remind us to keep doing that. Uh, ask those around you who you are seriously interested in building that kind of intimacy with. How's your mental health? It's a better way of uh, starting that conversation. Because again, we're letting people know we actually care about how your mental health is doing. Asking that question reminds them to actually consider their mental health. Um, and it lets them know that we're a safe space for that kind of deeper processing. When you say things like, how are you? Uh, it's a little too common. It's a cliche. Very few people don't really mean how are you. It's just kind of a etiquette based thing that we throw off the cuff. But when you say to someone, how's your mental health? It's us really saying, I care, you know, I'm a safe resource. Um, and also you saying, check in on it. So I want to remind everyone to ask themselves that and to ask those that they're close to and they care about that question. It's something we want to keep asking ourselves and keeping front of mind. Um, Again, we're great with physical health. It's apparent uh, apparent and overt most of the time. Mental health tends to be more covert. Sometimes we do display behavioral symptoms or signs of a struggle, so more meaningful then, but again, often it's something that's a little more covert and less obvious, so it's a really important thing to do. Also, tell those that you care about that you love them. I tell all of my friends I love them when I get off the phone, straight, gay, male, female. I want them all to know that I care for them. So um, for those that I have that love for, I say, all right, you know, great talking, love you. And they say, I love you too. It's a really beautiful thing. So I also want to remind people to try to practice that our ability or willingness to ask someone, how's your mental health or to tell someone we have love for, I love you really helps us understand both how much intimacy we can tolerate and also how close we are or want to be. If you don't feel as though you're in, if you're in a relationship with someone of any kind. It's okay if it's casual, not every relationship is infused with love and deep processing of emotions, but if it's a best friend, a close family member, or someone you're in a primary relationship with, if you're unwilling or unable to ask such a question and to process such a thing, you got some work to do. And it also tells me, and I say this lovingly, not in a shaming way, but it's important for me to help point out where our work is, um, you struggle to have true, honest, deep relationships. Again, if a relationship is one in which you are not able to talk about mental health issues or bring it up. That's a very superficial relationship. We, it's okay to have that. It's okay to have a multitude of those. But ideally, you have at least one person who you can process with on a, on a deeper level. Try to find that person. Uh, also know that there's a lot of flexibility and plasticity in relationships. So it's not always about finding someone new as much as sometimes it's about starting to normalize that. All relationships are plastic, meaning changeable if you introduce a different variant and what you're going to be doing is starting to force that deeper, deeper resonating and processing by starting to ask those questions. Um, you'll be surprised that people, uh, people's ability to sometimes go there with you. They just maybe hadn't realized you wanted that level of depth or that you were able to sit in that level of depth. So <clears throat> again, it's not always about finding new relationships. Sometimes it's about deepening the ones we're in. And uh, sometimes we've been in a long-standing relationship and we've really forgotten to honor or to maintain that. And so for some, it's not about recreating what wasn't there. It's really returning to what is now gone and had been there. And... That's again, the difference between couples that uncomfortably sit in silence when they're eating or spending time together in the car out in the street versus those that have a lot of conversation going. Those that have a lot of conversation going have normalized pr- the, the, the authenticity and the um, transparency of really sharing what they're thinking, what they're feeling. But when you don't have the ability to do that, you start to get quiet. There's only so much news, business and weather you can share. And if you've spent the day together or even the day apart and nothing really dramatic is needing to be discussed, those couples or those individuals sit in silence. And so you really, really, really want to to practice that. Um, I personally can't be a part of any relationship that can't, tolerate or allow for deeper processing. I love to transform and to be transformed. I don't really have superficial friends in my life. I personally don't have a desire for that or a need for that. I'd rather be on my own or around close friends that we can talk, you know, on those deeper levels. Um, Yeah, that's just how I operate. I value that. I love that. I like to be known and i like to know which is also the goal of dating is to know and to be known we've talked about that but um yeah so start to ask yourself you know what are the relationships within which i want to kind of start planting the seeds uh for that what are the relationships that maybe will never allow for that and um starting to kind of normalize that you'll be surprised um, you know, it's something that's top of mind for me because of the work I do, but again, people that have been in our lives for a while, sometimes we let that drift or we never really created that. So see, see, make sure you have at least one person in your life you can do that with. And always kind of push on those edges. You know, those edges of um possibility, those edges of opportunity. We're really good at backing off when we hit a limit or anxiety spikes, and it's always about extending that window of tolerance, extending the ability to tolerate more, more honesty, more authenticity, more emotional processing, um, Cause that's really the basis of true relationship is those qualities, not, not time together. It's what we do with that time that we're together. There can be a lot of loneliness and spending a lot of time with people when we don't drop into that, which is why I personally don't enjoy bars and clubs and events like that. Because there's, a, you know, again, I don't drink or use drugs, but there's also a lack of ability to drop into deeper levels because it's loud, it's dark and people are intoxicated. So, you know, um, all right, we'll be back and we're going to be talking about drum roll. How to identify if uh, maybe you're a narcissist? So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back.
2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: All right, so we're back and we're talking about that buzzword, narcissism. I'm personally a little burnt out on people slinging that word around for everything and everyone at all times. It's like... My God, calm down, but you know what? In the field of psychiatry, psychology, and mental health, every couple of years we got a new buzzword that everyone's fallen under. For a while, everyone had bipolar, then everyone was ADHD, now everyone's a narcissist. It's quite fascinating. Um, And there's a lot of made up definitions. There's a lot of people that aren't licensed or certified mental health practitioners creating pages and books about this topic. Not to say that all that's bad or wrong, but if you don't understand mental health or psychology on a wider scale, you can really misapply, misuse those terms when you're really maybe talking about someone with an avoidant attachment style and they're not a narcissist um, or they're a trauma victim which every narcissist inherently is, right? And as I always say on the show, we're all narcissists. It's just how much. That's how we're socialized in our culture. Everyone's on that narcissism spectrum. We're on the spectrum for every mental health issue. Everyone's borderline to an extent. Maybe it's just pieces sometimes in some context, but we're all in theory on that on that continuum. So it's really how narcissistic are you? And for those that are certifiably meet all the criteria, that isn't a diagnosis that we should use to punish. Or to, or to like weaponize at someone. It shouldn't be something we say to someone when we're mad. If you're doing that, you're bullying them. That's actually f- emotional abuse to be like, you're a narcissist. Well, wait a second. Are you a licensed mental health professional? No? Okay, well then calm down. Express your needs, set a boundary, but we shouldn't be slinging that label around to harm. That is what has created the stigma around it. No one wants to be a word that has been weaponized and misused. That's part of the problem. So we can all be a part of, changing the system within which people can get help by not misapplying that term and weaponizing it. Then people that might see themselves as having some severe traits of narcissism might be a little more willing to sit with that label and to get help, but they're not going to when it's stigmatized. And that's going to actually further trigger the armoring and defensiveness of a narcissist if you are misusing that label and weaponizing it. So it really works against you. No one is no one wakes up one day and says I'm going to be a pain in the butt and and I'm going to try to live in the live in the characteristics of some diagnosis. No one chooses to be depressive. No one chooses to be obsessive compulsive. No one chooses to have a problematic relationship with drugs or alcohol. No one chooses to be borderline or a narcissist. It is a result of trauma of some kind. Don't care whether or not you agree with that or like that term, that is what the research is showing us. These are not decisions that people make. Now does that mean that We don't hold people accountable because they didn't choose it. Well, no, adults are still held accountable for how they move through the world, how they impact others. But again, in order for someone to be willingness, uh, in order for someone to have the willingness to sit with a diagnosis and maybe get the help, it can't be something that feels harmful or ego dystonic, which means something that they can't confidently um, uh, identify with. So we have to make it a safe space. So again, victims of, of narcissists are going to be like, well, wait a minute. Are you victim blaming? No. Nowhere in there did I say that. Narcissists, as, as old adults, whether you're dealing with, you know, if an adult is dealing with a problematic relationship with drugs or alcohol, yes, it's on them to get help for that. However, I have complete sympathy for why that developed. Uh, alcoholism and drug addiction are not diseases. They're defenses. They're coping mechanisms. They're attachment issues these are and these are symptoms of something deeper they're attempting to find balance and and regulation and they're attempting to survive the question is what happened to them so if you're dealing with an extreme narcissist the question is what happened to them why are they the way why are they the way they are and yeah we need to apply that empathetically to everyone no one is without the uh, the right to have care applied to them yes if you're realizing you're with a narcissist you might need to exit or set boundaries But that doesn't mean they're bad. They're not bad. They're often unaware of themselves. And again, I'm part of healing. I'm a healer. So I wanna figure out ways that we can shift culture and the conversation around this so that those individuals can identify themselves and seek help. But a lot of people in the narcissism world are very punitive because they've been victimized. And that's where they really get interested in this topic. And then they start identifying as everyone, the problem as the problem, which is narcissistic in itself. So if you're sitting there labeling everyone as a narcissist, that actually might be you stepping into narcissism, where you're never the problem, you've done nothing wrong, you have no role in all of this, and you're weaponizing that against others. That's quite narcissistic, because narcissism at its base is really about a defense from feeling. It's a defense against connection. It's a defense against empathy. It's a, it's a disconnection from head and body. You're all in your head. You're all in your rational mind, and you're not in your emotional mind or even your wise mind, which is a combination of rationality and emotionality. These people need help. Like every Everyone does, everyone who is creating issues for themselves and others needs help. We can't just vote these people off the planet. It doesn't work like that. So again, this topic is about identifying it first in ourselves, as always, before we start pointing fingers, and also maybe identifying it in those that are in our lives so we can better understand what might be required. And I'm bringing it up often because again, this is something that's really out there in social media. And I'm seeing people misuse it and misunderstand it, and um, it keeps a lot of people very angry. There's a lot of people in these narcissistic groups and, and Instagram pages and you know you know support groups that are just angry. And, and, and the, the, the point of all that should be healing and resolve. And so if you're a part of some process therapy or a group there, whatever it is, and you're just angry, it means you're ruminating. It means you're hooked on this concept. That's a cognitive distortion. That is not mental health. You need to unhook. You need to release. You need to let go. You need to essentially move on. So that's our topic is identifying in ourselves first and then identifying it in others. But again, the whole purpose of tonight's show is really to build empathy around how did we get here? And some of that's our culture that's obsessed with individualism. We want people to do it on their own, not, not require the support of others. We shame people needing others as codependent. Um, and we're also wildly materialistic. We care more about objects and status and money than, than we do about relationality and emotions, as evidenced by the fact that we put jobs and money and all that before everything else. That's narcissism, that people are second, and that what comes first is status and your gym body and looking attractive and all the material items you have. That is how we raise narcissism. We need more empathy. And that's what's so hurtful when I see all these Republicans and lawmakers shutting down abortions and trans rights. That is, that's narcissism, looking out for your needs. All right, we'll be back. We're gonna keep talking about this. So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Oh, alright you we are back and we're talking about narcissism and we're really talking about how to identify it first in ourselves. So we're going to go through some of the uh, criteria. And again, we want to really apply this to us because we want to understand how we impact others before you get so focused on is my partner, a narcissist or my husband or a best friend. and But first start with yourself. Otherwise you are stepping into narcissism, a lack of empathy and care for how you're impacting others. So let's just start with that. The first sign that you're not a narcissist you are not a narcissist if you're willing to look at yourself, if you're willing to consider and think about how you impact others, if you care about the fact that the people you date and your friends with are in your care. You're not a narcissist if you're a teacher, a parent, a boss, a partner, whatever it is, and you actually care about the people that you have power over. You you think you think horizontally you don't think you're above anyone you don't think you're better than anyone you don't misuse power and you care about how the people under you feel when people say things like it's about the grades first or it's just it's all about money or i only care about my neighborhood or my family or my country or money comes before the needs of employees you're a narcissist you might even and and again remember narcissism is on the sociopathy scale so narcissism is the light version. And if you go far to the other side, you're a sociopath. You literally have no concern for others. You literally enjoy and have no problem harming others. That's being sociopathic. And a narcissist is a very watered down light version of that. And a lot of CEOs and successful people are narcissists because think about it, for you to get to that level, you've most likely had to deprioritize socialization, self-care, and the relationships and your family. And you've had to over-prioritize working, status, and money. And that's often how CEOs get to their positions of power and they thrive. And a lot of people seek narcissists to be in those positions of power. They don't want anyone to care about employees needs or employees feelings. Um, and a lot of narcissists become and step into roles of power and status. Uh, there's a lot of police officers that have that. There's a lot of CEOs. Like I said, a lot of people in the entertainment industry because they see, um, They don't feel as though they have worth or value unless they're getting that from other people. Other people become the respirator for that. They need to feel superior and they have a sense of entitlement. So it's another sign that you're a narcissist. If you think that you somehow matter more than some other person, you're a narcissist. Or that's at least a trait of narcissism. Because again, we all have traits of narcissism. It's how many and how much. So again, if you think because of the amount of money you make, if you think because of your race, if you think because you're cisgendered and not trans, if you think because you're straight and not gay, if you think because you're more attractive than someone or whatever it is, if for whatever reason you think you are superior to another or better than another or your needs matter more, that is a form of narcissism. It doesn't matter, you know. famous people don't have bigger needs. Like I always laugh when people take the breakup of a celebrity as something reasonable or meaningful to them. That's not your life. Let them lead their life. But they'll put their pain before someone else's, some celebrities. They want early access to things. Also, CEOs and some bosses think that their needs matter more and they want a level of respect that they don't give to anybody else. I see teachers do that. I'm the teacher. I see parents do that. I'm the dad or I'm the mom, which is a form of adultism, saying children's needs and feelings don't matter. And I see that with parents that need to sit at the head of the table. They need to enforce the sense of superiority to feel intact and okay. But what message are you giving those around you, your students, your teachers, your children, your employees, that there are some people that sometimes matter more and that is actually not true. That's why I've worked really hard to treat everyone the same. No one gets special treatment from me. Everyone has worth and value. I don't go out of my way more so for one than for other. I don't believe in vertical power structures. I don't believe in domination over others. I believe in community care. I believe a balance of power. I'm a feminist. I don't believe in these vertical power structures. I don't think parents matter more. I would never say if a ship was thinking women and children first, everyone's life has the same value. Everyone, please one at a time, climb into the lifeboat. Celebrities shouldn't get special access to anything. They're not more special. Just because you have more money doesn't mean you matter more and should get anything that someone else doesn't get. Like, it's really wild how we do that, but that's a form of narcissism, which is very culturally supported and people have agreed with it. And that is where we've gotten into the weeds. Um, a hundred percent. We've really told people that your status and your gym body and your beauty and your wealth is what makes you better or more important. And it's not true. And it doesn't actually even promise the gifts that people are told it does. It doesn't make you happier. <laughs> the level of happiness balances out at each level you climb. I can tell you from all the people in my private practice, those that have the most amount of money and are the wealthiest or the celebrities, they are struggling with the same issues as everybody else. But yet we've, we've built in a culture of narcissism. And social media hasn't helped with how many followers do you have? How many likes did that get? People are crying that they don't have followers. People are upset that a friend isn't following them. This is all part of that narcissism. People are upset that it didn't get a lot of likes. Narcissism. Everyone wants to win. Narcissism. (laughs) School sets it up too. You're competing with, with each other in the classroom. Narcissism. You're trying to out out outgrade someone narcissism and the funny thing about the school piece is in the real world you mainly work as a team we should be having people in school work in teams helping each other the opposite of narcissism not you matter more individualism and then i even say it all the time with how we have these boundaries oh i'm going to worry about things in my country really narcissism (laughs) all people should have you know fair wages and health care all right we're going to take a break we'll be back we're going to do some dms you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. Channel Q and Odyssey will be right back alright Shaw, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs.
0: Sliding into the DMs.
1: Hey, Dr. Chris. <clears throat> I've recently proposed to my boyfriend of 10 years. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Now he's my fiance. Well, congratulations. Ever since, there's been a lot of focus on our finances. After 10 years, well, I guess because responsibility kind of shifts and changes when you get married. I get it, I get it. We've always split bills, cool, and expenses 50-50, which by the way, PS, people should only be splitting bills and expenses 50-50 if you make the same amount of money. If someone makes more money, then they should be paying more. That's, That's how that should go. You can't expect someone to spend a higher percentage of their income or earnings Um, Because that's an an inequality and a a problematic power imbalance. If you make more, pay more. Otherwise, drop yourself down to the level what's comfortable for them. But you can't expect them to spend more in an anxious, uncomfortable way to meet your standard. You either, the higher income generator has to either drop down to lower person's comfort and standard or pay more. So if you make way more, it should maybe be 70-30. Always, always. It's not about equality. That's fair, that equality means whatever you get, I get. It can't work like that. It's about equity. Someone once corrected me when they're like, no, you mean equality. I'm like, no, boo-boo. The words I use are chosen specifically. I mean equity, which means, which means actual fairness, which means people get exactly what they require. And some people need more, some people need less with whatever domain of life we're talking about. Um, you said we split them 50-50, but now he keeps bringing up how I make less than a half of what he makes That I don't have enough vacation time and that we won't be able to elevate our lifestyle unless I become more ambitious. See, this is capitalism at its worst. This is materialism talking. This is ego talking. This is um, superficiality talking. Uh, this is optimization culture talking. We need to be working less. We need to be resting more. We need to be spending less time working and on career ambitions and more time with our friends and our family and on things that give us purpose and meaning and on hobbies. We're not on this planet and alive just to work and make money so we can die with a nice house having never done anything meaningful or important or anything that made us happy. The most meaningful quote I ever heard in my entire life that hit me hard was in the movie, I can't remember the name of it, um, won an Oscar Um, I'll have to look it up but basically the woman was saying that her colleague at the office always 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 wanted to retire buy a boat and go sailing and he bought the boat and died the day after and that boat just sat in his driveway he never even got to live his dream because he was too busy working that's not what we're here for And so if your partner wants someone who dresses a certain way and looks a certain way and makes a certain amount of money. So you, so your ego can flaunt a certain lifestyle to try to make you feel like you have worth and value, let him go find someone else. You know, um, you don't, you don't have to work harder to meet someone else's standard. If he makes more, he pays more case closed, be happy with where you're at. Don't let him in any way imply that what you're doing isn't good enough if you're content and happy. You said, here's the question, you said we live a comfortable life, don't struggle with finances, but we're definitely not equal career wise. Of course you're not, you don't have to be. Just because someone makes more and can buy more material objects doesn't mean that that's the standard. In fact, we know without a doubt from every single piece of research in happiness and positive psychology, that having your worth and happiness tied to objects and material and ego is a failing way to do it and will always keep you needing more because it actually just gives you quick bursts of joy and not long-term sustainable happiness. What makes us happy is contentment, being happy with what we already have and that's what you're doing. Don't drink his Kool-Aid. Don't drink his Kool-Aid. You said we have everything we need. We are very comfortable. So your question was, should I be pushing more of my career and inviting more personal stress? No, no, you shouldn't. Set a boundary with him now and let him know. I'm not participating in the internalization of capitalist ideals and norms that tell us that our only role on this planet is to consume, 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 and work, work, work so that people can make money off the backs of our labor and that our worth is tied to our house and our phones and our car and our gym bodies. No, you're better than that and you're healthier than that and you're not participating in that and if that's what he wants he can go find that in someone else have him meet you where you're at because you're centering it in mental health so i'm proud of you don't take on his definitions of success or happiness because he's wrong and he's drank in the kool-aid like most people have you know I'm proud of you. Hold on to that. I'm surprised you haven't been a better influence on him in 10 years. He should be trying to adopt your perspective, not you adopting his. So dig your heels in. All right, y'all. We'll be back. You're listening to Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. More to come. All right, all We're back, and we're talking about narcissism tonight. And um, you know, I'm being a little heavy-handed because I think the problem is we see it all the time as an individual thing. And 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 if you were listening to the earlier segments, and if not, go to wearechannelq.com. You can check out the past episodes, listen to what we just talked about. Um, is because we're not looking at the macro cultural level that we all are participating in, where we tell people, oh. You're special for certain reasons and you should, you know, you're more special if you're famous, you're more special if you make money, you're more special if you're attractive. None of those things are true. That's the culture of narcissism. Having people care about how many followers and how many likes they get, culture of narcissism. Having people compete with each other for things, culture of narcissism. Having people in positions of power. And how people use that power determines whether or not they're a narcissist. And remember narcissism is on the continuum with, with being a sociopath. Sociopath is the extreme form. Narcissism is the watered down form. It's all about how much concern do I have for other people? What role do I perceive other people to have? How do I interact with them? How do I treat them? That is really the best diagnostic tool. Do I think I'm superior Do I have a sense of entitlement? Well, that's the opposite of empathy and care for others. That is narcissism. Do you have signs of that? Do you have excessive need for constant praise and admiration? Do you make everything about you? Is every conversation, no matter what the topic is, somehow brought back to you? That is narcissism. Always centering yourself. Um, Perfectionism is another one. And again, I think that that is culturally created, where we think our worth is tied to our performance. Our worth is there because we're a person. Our performance and our productivity shouldn't matter. If you sign up for a job or you sign up for a gig, do your best, but your worth isn't tied to that. There's other factors that matter, your mood, your ability, your mental health, your interest. But we're trying to drift away from our worth as a human being tied to our performance and our productivity. It's far more complex than that. And you have worth regardless. And I wish we would drop the bar on that and stop looking at grades and job performance and wealth and status as, as indicators to your worth as a person, because that's narcissism. And it should be more, are you a good person? How do you treat other people? Are you empathetic? That is what your worth and self-esteem should be tied to. That's what I'm advocating for. I don't care if you have a gym body. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what your status is at work. I care how you treat other people. Period, end of story. And that's what I'm also trying to advocate for single clients to focus on when they're dating. Look for people that also think in those terms. Otherwise, you will get pulled into that trap and they will be looking at you as an accessory for their ego. They will want you to look and act a certain way and perform a certain way because their ego is dependent upon you and how people perceive you. They move through the world with imaginary audience, thinking that people care about what they're doing, driving, and what they look like. And a lot of people, when they're imagining dating someone, they imagine what would people think? That is us stepping into narcissism. And that's why I say to people, what should you wear? The things you're comfortable wearing, stop worrying about what you think other people want from you. That's just moving away from narcissism. The opposite of narcissism is authenticity and empathy. If you're just being yourself, doing what makes sense to you, caring for others, you're moving away from narcissism. But if you care about what you look like, you care about what you're making, you care about what other people look like, you care what other people are making, you care about status, you're living in narcissism. It's not about humanity anymore. It's about all of these people, places, and things as being tied to your ego. Your ego's being held up by it. And I see that with dating. I see that also with socialization. If you walk into a party, do you only talk to the attractive popular people? Narcissism, it's dehumanizing. It's putting people on a scale and you're determining their worth based on their attractiveness and their social capital that's gross. It's also going to keep you from meeting some great people. When you sit at a dinner table at a dinner party, do you also try to sit with the popular, well-dressed, attractive people? If I looked at photos on your social media, are all of your friends gym-bodied, well-dressed, attractive, whatever else kind of thing? Narcissism. You're looking for perfection. You want people to perceive that photo and think a certain way of you. You need to be seen a certain way. So if you're choosing what photos you post who you're posing with where you go based on how it impacts how you're seen narcissism if instead you're posting authentic photos based on who you enjoy and the things you like to do not narcissism see how that works um we're talking about it in a very global sense so we can identify it in ourselves. So try having friends that you don't deem to be attractive. Try talking to people that you don't deem to be popular or attractive. Try going to places that aren't cool. Try wearing the things that, are, that make you happy and you're comfortable in, even if it's not trendy or fashionable. That is how we move away and try to dismantle narcissism. Try caring about people's feelings. Try putting people before money and your job. Try showing up to things that your friends invite you to, whether it's cool or not. That is how we move away from narcissism. Any movement away from performance and perfectionism and beauty and status and finances is a move in the healthy direction. We all have work to do because we're all part of maintaining this system that tells people your worth as a human being and your goal in life should be to meet a criteria that has nothing to do with your character or your integrity, has nothing to do with how you treat people, but has everything to do with what you have. That's gross. That's not mental health. And that's also not like what, this, what our culture should be rooted in. And again, I see that a lot with people's social life, but also their dating life. And I see that in partners telling their other what they can wear, that they need to lose weight, all sorts of messy, unkind things. Um, All right, coming up next, we're going to keep talking about narcissism. Um, I want us to all really understand how it's a system that we keep in play as opposed to just, excuse me, blaming people as though they make that choice. I want us all to see ourselves as a part of this and see that we have it all in us and that we help create a world that makes these people need to be the way they are to soften and to build empathy. We'll be back. You're listening to Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, y'all, we're back and we're talking about narcissism, how it's a system that we're all a part of perpetuating and creating, and that we all have work to do. And anytime we're focused on superiority or entitlement, basically implying that we or someone else is better than anyone else, that is us keeping that system alive. And then we can't act shocked or wounded when a narcissist hurts us because you spend your life maybe creating those people, helping create those kinds of people. So if you don't think narcissism is healthy, if you've been injured by a narcissist, it's not just about cutting that person out. It's also about saying, let me change the system because I've helped create that kind of person. Remember that we can't just complain about the extreme heat in the summer. We are all helping keep climate change going. So instead of just complaining about the heat, also maybe work on dismantling and pushing back on on the climate issue, like step into the solution on a larger scale. Most people want to just shrink it down and blame people and, and kind of keep that word stigmatized, which is also how and why people don't get into treatment. No one wants to own a label that we're weaponizing and shaming people for. Um, so again, narcissism would be always centering yourself, not worrying about the needs of others, being selfish, um, unable to really work through or process things. Again, narcissism is a defense. It's an armor. It's not a choice someone makes. It's a response to life events and traumas. And they don't feel safe sitting in their body or in their feelings or with others. They they haven't been shown. have empathy they haven't been raised in an environment where it was okay to do that where care was offered to them so that they could understand how to offer care to others it's an environmental piece it's a psychosocial thing that's created and we want to build empathy for that um i'm just trying to look at some of these personal traits really quickly um yeah so sorry i'm just looking at this okay so now we kind of want to globalize it on a larger scale. Um, before we ever <laughs> lazily armchair diagnose someone else, right? We want to help understand how we might be creating the dynamics around which this person is forced to show up in that way. Because before we blame someone, we want to first rule ourselves out. I'm not saying that there isn't a chance that someone is just, you know, without empathy, really focused on their ego, very narcissistic, and maybe you are completely victimized by it. Maybe you've tried to help them understand that you have needs. Maybe you've tried to set boundaries and advocate for yourself. Maybe you've lovingly tried to share with them, hey, sometimes it's really hard because you seem to make everything about you and it doesn't allow me to make anything about me. Maybe you've lovingly said, hey, I sometimes feel let down or disappointed and here's what I need from you. Like Maybe you've lovingly done that work because I will always advocate before we decide what's possible, before we cut someone out of our life, you have to first at least make one or two or three attempts I prefer people make a few. If it's a healthy relationship that just has a few of these traits, you want to still advocate for your needs and give this person an opportunity to maybe self-reflect and adjust. We don't want to automatically assume this person's a narcissist. Nothing's ever going to change. That's a little drastic and a little severe. We always want to hold space for growth and change. And that does happen sometimes where people are like, you know what? You're right. I've heard that before. Or you mean enough to me, bam they're working on it but then there's times where they'll defend blame gaslight, hit the ball back deny get angry and then you can realize this isn't going to change and I can't settle for this but you need to circle that block more than once otherwise I'm afraid you might fall victim to kicking people out of your life every time someone disappoints or frustrates you and we want to make sure we're not doing that because that's not what this is about and I've seen some people do that, where they literally won't tolerate anything annoying or frustrating or disappointing. They literally are looking for perfection, and that doesn't exist. And they'll say they know it doesn't exist, but by process, that's literally what they're actually looking for, though. So you have to be willing to stick around and do some work. Otherwise, you're kind of a narcissist, right? Like you're putting yourself first. You're blocking out their humanity. There's no empathy for maybe them not you know, being introspective or understanding or whatever it is. So we want to make sure, again, we're not acting that out on someone else and denying them a chance to maybe be better. Because I think that that's very, very, very important, giving people a shot. Um, So some of the more watered down ways is uh, always talking about themselves. Are you always talking about yourself? Or do you start a conversation with how are you? Do you at some point in the conversation acknowledge that maybe that person hasn't said much and you say to them, tell me about your day. So checking in on others and asking those questions is a way we can break through that. And again, on the inverse, if you're always... If you're always in conversation with this person, whoever it is, and they're never ever saying that to you, we we wanna still again do that work of reminding them like, hey, it was really great hearing all about your day, can I share with you how my day was? And their response to that is gonna kinda indicate their level of narcissism. But again, as you're noticing, I'm all about giving people a shot. We're always letting people know where we are and what we need. Um, Another another key thing you'll hear all the time is a lot of controlling behavior. They don't like to have to accommodate another person uh so it's like on one world in on one hand in one world it's appropriate for someone to be frustrated if you're always running late that's not always a form of control but then there's the narcissistic version where they want perfection and it's about them and they don't like being put out and so there's no accommodation for you running late or again having a need and that's why one of the things i tell people to do when they're first dating Um, or even just to check in on this later down the road, is to have needs. And when you express your needs, healthy people will listen, they'll hear you, they'll wanna fix that, they'll wanna accommodate. But if every time you express a need or a concern, you're blamed or it's shut down or they block it or they deflect, you're dealing with a severe narcissist, someone who just can't soften into introspection, someone who just can't ever soften into you having a concern. Because part of the deal whether it's a friendship, a family relationship, or a romantic relationship, because no one's let off the hook. I don't care if it's your brother. I hate when people do that, but it's their brother. No, that doesn't mean we stick around and deal with toxicity or abuse. No way. Same expectations on everyone. We have to be able to have our needs considered for anyone to be a part of our life. And that's one of the most beautiful tests of mental health, having needs, vocalizing them, and seeing what the person does in response. Surefire test. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to keep this discussion around narcissism, and then we're going to be sliding into those DMs. So if you've got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Stick around, then More to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back, so stick around. All right, y'all, we're back and we're finishing up our discussion on narcissism, uh, really trying to identify it first in ourselves and looking at how we all really uphold this system of narcissism by focusing on optimization and perfection and no pain, no gain and caring about how we look and anti-aging and uh, status and wealth. That's all narcissism. It's the opposite of empathy. It's the opposite of care. It's a vertical power structure, not horizontal. It's really seeing ourselves and others worth as tied to what they have and what they produce and their performance. That is narcissism. Even in school with grades, narcissism. You're training everyone from the day they enter school to care about their performance and that their worth is tied to their performance. That is classic narcissism. We cannot be shocked that that is a cultural norm. Instead, it should be, you're great on how you treat other people. People are like, well, that's ridiculous. No, actually it isn't. Imagine if we cared a little bit less about performance and we cared more about collectivity and community and how to be relational and how to care for others and how to help others. People wouldn't have the Sunday scaries anymore. People might enjoy their jobs. If we got rid of these power structures and control, yeah, we'd actually have a mental health centered world, but instead we're competing with each other and we're tied, our worth is tied to our performance and to our productivity, that is narcissism. We can all help to dismantle that. Getting away from the idea that my job is to be desirable, getting away from this idea and obsession with aesthetics, that is narcissism. So, if you spend a lot of time and money on your appearance, you are exhibiting traits of narcissism. That's what you think it matters more, that's what you think is important, that's what you're centering not your characterological style, not your emotional health, which is why I'm always saying to people, hey, how much time a week do you spend on your mental or emotional health? And most people, the answer is zero. But how much time do you spend on your beauty, on your status, on your body, on your wealth, you know, accruing wealth? And a lot of people will say my entire week, and it's like exactly, Narcissism. I'm not saying those things don't matter, but I'm saying we've culturally made them all that matters. I don't see on dating apps people saying, be kind, blah 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 ba-ba. And you rarely see that. Often though, people are talking about your body shape, your body size, your income, your job. It's a mess. And we all culturally participate in that. We need to be breaking that down. Um I mean, even like the whole concept of selfies and the way we go about them, it's not even anymore about just sharing with the world what we're up to and what we're doing and keeping close with people. It's now really about how we want to be perceived. So, even the whole world of selfie is about exhibitionism, wanting to be perceived a certain way, wanting to demonstrate status. That's why people are taking pictures with things that aren't even theirs, pretending. Um, and that's why I say, go on someone's social media and you'll see what they care most about. Go on social media, someone's social media and you'll see how narcissistic they are. Is it all about their money, their body, their wealth, and their beauty? That's them centering narcissism. That's important to them. Be very thoughtful about stepping into that. But when you go on someone's page and it's funny memes and pictures of their dog and a meal they made feel a little bit better because they're demonstrating what means more to them. We tell on ourselves all day long and our social media is a really primary site where we really demonstrate that. Um, if you're constantly going to see how many likes you got, how many people are following you, you're upset that friends don't follow you. That's ego and narcissism. It doesn't matter who follows you. Let your page be available to those that are interested in what you're putting on there and out there. And if not, not. But when someone, if someone reaches out and they're like, why don't you follow me? I refuse to answer that. I'm not feeding your ego because of because what you post isn't of interest to me, obviously. Because a lot of what people post is rooted in narcissism and materialism. And I personally don't need to be flooded with that on my feed. That does nothing for me. That is not inspiring. And that's keeping me trapped in a world I don't want to be a part of. I don't follow any of that crap. I I don't, I'm not impressed by that at all. Do not care about your watch, your car, how much weight you lost, don't care. It tells me nothing about you as a person and that doesn't inspire me. There's nothing for me to do with that. You know, there's nothing transformative in that. Um, here's another sign of narcissism. Are you unaware of how you impact others? Are, are people frustrated and struggling with you? But they're unable to tell you, if you can't have someone you care about lovingly tell you that they're struggling with you or that something upset them without you saying, please tell me, I'm sorry to hear, here's how I'll fix it. You are struggling with some narcissism. People have to be able to approach you and talk about that. Um, I'm looking at another article and again, we kind of talked about this, but do you think that you deserve special treatment for some reason? That's narcissism. No one deserves special treatment. People deserve access and care based on what they need and who they are meaning some people have disabilities and they will need a ramp they will need help walking they might need a different level of access but that's about accommodating based on where someone's at that's very different from thinking you inherently are better than someone and deserve something um and then i think finally we'll kind of land on this one do you see certain people and things as extensions of yourself being so focused on on presentation, that your children have to act and look a certain way, the friends around you have to act and look a certain way, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Otherwise, you feel embarrassed. Well, that's you again being narcissistic because you're caring more about form and presentation and perception than you do about the care and the kindness and the fun of the people you're around. So we got to flip that. So really sit with this. I know it can be really hard for some people to, to feel like they got called out a lot, but like. You're welcome. That is how we be better. That is how we change the world and be a part of that macro level shift. We're starting with ourselves first and trying to change the culture that is creating those narcissists versus just blaming people. That doesn't help. There's nothing constructive in that. We have to look at how we maintain that. Coming up next, DM, y'all. So stick around for that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. So stick around.
0: Selling a little or a lot. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You
1: are a fighter, and Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs.
0: Sliding into the DMs.
1: This one's a long one, y'all, so hang in there with me. Hey, Dr. Chris, I'm dating a 45 year old man. At first, he seemed like my dream man. They always do it first, everyone does. Everything in the beginning's fantasy, idealized, romanticized and the real relationship and the real person show up when we first are disappointed, let down, or conflict emerges. That's why I I want people to bump into conflict, and I want people to disappoint someone, and that's a sign of your authentic self coming forward. Otherwise, you're probably people-pleasing and just trying to be liked, and you're probably rolling with things early on that you normally wouldn't, and that's why we can't make assumptions or build relationships on how it is at the beginning, because that's fantasy, idealization, romanticization, everything's adorable, nothing bothers us, Everyone's trying to be liked, they're on their best behavior. It's not real, it's not honest. And then someone disappoints someone and that's when the real relationship shows up. How do you tolerate learning that this person's a real person and that you aren't perfectly aligned? And then a little conflict emerges and you have to deal with the same thing. And that's when trust is actually built. Trust is built and shown based on how you deal with conflict, difference, and disappointment. And so until that emerges, you can't really assess the health or sustainability of a relationship. So value those moments and seek them. Back to your question. Uh, 45 year old dream man. I met him via my best guy friend who was known him for 10 years. So I started hanging with him. He gave me keys to his place within the first month, asked me to move in, but I held off for six months. Yeah. Because this person, as you knew him in the beginning, isn't really who it is. Uh, I moved in with him in January. It was going fine. My question is regarding our sex life. We get along great, both very attracted to each other. But he said because he's 45, he doesn't have a sex drive. Nope, see, stop. Age and sex drive are not necessarily correlated. And so I I will never agree with that. People in their... 20s and 30s can be asexual, hypo, lower sexual on an SSRI that decreases their sexuality. People in their 40s, 50s, and 60s can actually be in the prime of their sexuality because they're more confident, they're more honest, they're more authentic. Uh, maybe they're on testosterone treatment. Maybe they're finally cleaning up their diet in a way that is more health supportive for things like blood flow, and vascularity, which is tied often to sex drive and erections and lubrication. So, it's not about age and you can't just isolate age as the single and factor only. Back to your question though. Um, he never sex with me, but he did before we started having sex. He doesn't go down on me, but I'm always giving him oral and he always has to sneak off to watch porn beforehand and has a hard time. See, this is a mess. This is a mess for a thousand reasons. Number one, S- start at requesting the kind of sex that you enjoy and say to him, I like when you go down on me and provide oral for me. If you aren't willing or interested in doing that, then we are not sexually compatible and then we are not meant to be in a monogamous relationship because there's no valid reason why someone shouldn't want to provide pleasure and intimacy with you. Providing oral to a partner regardless of their gender is an act of closeness and intimacy and and also a sign that someone else's pleasure is important to you there's no medical reason or even psychological reason for someone to not want to do that unless maybe your history you know you have a history of trauma around that well then great go work on that so you can be a participant in someone's sexuality but i would say to you stop making sex centered in only what he wants and we're not doing it in a weaponized manipulative way but you have to say to him my sexual needs matter as much as yours, and you're only prioritizing yours, and I've told you all the things that I'm interested in, and if you're not interested in that as well, then we are not sexually compatible. I am unwilling, this is you speaking, to go the rest of my life not having the sexuality that fulfills me. Let's work on it, and then say to him, I need to understand why you're unwilling to center my pleasure. What What is triggering or uncomfortable for you about providing oral for me? Because say to him, if we're gonna operate from the theory of us only doing what's comfortable for us, well then that would actually drive me away from providing certain things for you. And that's not what a loving, intimately driven couple or relationship does. Um, So I understand why you feel bad. And I don't know why he won't talk to you about that. But again, if you can't have this conversation, then as a couple, I'm worried about your ability or willingness to have other important and difficult vulnerable conversations. So this matters. So if he's not willing to talk about it then you're in a relationship with someone who's phobic of intimacy, has bad communication skills and you're never going to have what we call a happily secure relationship. So these are red flags. I would bring them to him as such, call them that and let him know that the way you work through this issue is a communication as to what other issues will be up against and that you can't commit to a relationship like that. Maybe try some couples and sex therapy, but it looks like this someone this person might not be healthy enough to be your partner, you know. Let me know how it goes though. All right. That's our show. Thanks for hanging out. We'll be back. Check out our show over at wearechannelq.com. Have a good rest of your night.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.